0: brother love you're talking about me doing hard times i don't do hard times i am the good time rock and roll man From Television City in Hollywood. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Discretionary viewer
1: participation is advised for the following professional wrestling exhibition.
0: Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Greetings from Allentown is not taped in front of a live studio audience.
1: Everyone and Welcome to episode 169 of Greetings from Allentown. I'm your host, Peter Winson. And today, because I want to feel good again about professional wrestling, I'm going to go back to the year 1989. And I'm going to go to the World Wrestling Federation, because this is certainly a comfort food, comfort zone of mine. WWF superstars from July 22nd of that year. Summer of 1989, I don't want to say it was the peak of my fandom... But it's something that I will always enjoy rewatching. It's Vince and Jesse. I mean, why the hell not? It's also, we got summer coming up. The pollen count is up. Temperature's up. One of those things is good, <laughs> one of them isn't quite so good, especially when you get limits on allergy medications because you got meth heads in Iowa and all that. So, yes, 1989 WWF, certainly a favored entity and promotion on this show i think i finally figured out what my power five is they talk about the power five conferences in college sports you know that thing that they used to do until boston university won the patriot league championship in basketball and there's been no college sports since don't think i haven't noticed that but the power five promotions for me are wwf wcw jim crockett promotions which i know those last two are linked memphis and mid-south and anything else? See, I have to be really sort of inspired. And if you haven't caught my drift these last few weeks, I'm not particularly inspired by professional wrestling these days. So, like, to watch something like Texas Championship Wrestling from 1980s, like, I'm just not in the mood for that. It's like I can't even watch freaking Raw. It, it's stupid, empty arena thing that's now been going on for two months that they're just peddling to us, but. Anyway, let me get in my plugs. You can email the show, greeksfromallentown at gmail.com, facebook.com slash gregsmallentown. Give me a follow on Twitter, at GF Allentown Pod. That is at GF Allentown Pod. And you may be listening to the show on the Pro Wrestling Only feed, and I encourage you to hit the subscribe button, check out all the other great shows on Pro Wrestling Only. As I announced last week, next week's show, 170 will be my last on the Pro Wrestling Only feed. It's been a nice run of three years but it's time to step aside and i guess give someone else a chance so do keep that in mind going forward if you're listening to this show on pwo and you want to keep listening going forward i did release a gfa live earlier this week on tuesday focusing you might say how could you do a podcast about die hard with a vengeance aren't you supposed to be a wrestling podcast like well yeah First of all, it's the 25th anniversary of that movie. It was the number one grossing film of 1995. And Ludwig Borga is all over that movie, as Keithy and I discovered. I've never quite noticed how often he appears like in the background as one of the henchmen. Like I, I, Okay, I knew he was one of the cops who they hand the briefcase to, and Borga is the guy who doesn't want to ride with it in the car with him. But I didn't I didn't realize he, He's there all the way like to the end It's like Survivor Series 1993 it's, it's absolutely insane So do check that out That was great Great time with Keithy Watching Die Hard with a Vengeance Certainly one of my favorite movies Now I, I had mentioned We got some warm weather Up here in Massachusetts And that, that's lovely Because I can actually hang out outside During the day on the weekend I miss minor league baseball dearly. I mean, the last three years of doing this podcast, I've probably referred to it on a weekly basis. If I went to a game, if something interesting happened. But that's just not in the cards this year. In fact, earlier this week, I got a call from the guy from the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. I don't know why he called me because I'm not a season ticket holder or a plan holder. I'm just a guy who bought like five to seven games a year. And they probably got my name off of that but they have a thing where you donate to charity and you get a whole bunch of vouchers for tickets going forward that are going to be valid in 2021 so gave me something to chew on there and i told the guy i said look i've been watching korean baseball and i talked about how i have a wins pool set up with my friends same friends that i have the nfl wins pool the mlb one and i got two korean league kbo teams And it's not doing it for me to this point. Because SK Wyverns really sucks. They started the season, I think, 1-10. I think they won their opener and lost 10 games in a row. It's like, oh, great. Now I have an acceptable substitute for rooting for the Baltimore Orioles. This Korean team, which I don't know any of the guys on here. And I look at the roster, and there's no American guys on there that like, oh, I know this guy because he used to play for the Minnesota Twins. Speaking of Twins, the LG Twins are the team that I wanted to pick, but my friend Craig took them in the draft right ahead of me. And I wanted the LG Twins because at least they have two guys from the 2016 Baltimore Orioles, the last team I could truly be proud of from wire to wire, even if it didn't end all that well. But one good thing I got going on is this is the first Greetings from Allentown proper that is being recorded on my new laptop which I finally—I referred to it last week and was afraid if I talked about it too much I, w- I would curse the entire thing. But this—this this is absolutely amazing, and I'm glad I splurged for the 32 gigs of RAM. Now who knows? Maybe it's just going faster because it's—you know—it's new and it's not all screwed up from everything. But I don't—I'm not as worried about this thing halting as I'm talking here, like for like it missing like four seconds of what i said the way it would be with my old computer if it was like oh i'm going to choose this opportunity to download a kaspersky antivirus update at six o'clock when you're in the middle of podcasting and then i have to realize it and shut it off but managed to get everything transferred over because so i was so oh my god my itunes data i am absolutely maniacal about this because when i set up my itunes originally I got an iPod in late 2007, and I was unemployed through April of the following year. So in setting up all of my music, I was maniacal about album art and having the play counts correct. I wanted everything correct. And in going to a new computer, I'm so paranoid that I'm gonna end up losing it. But luckily for me, I made one of the great investments, which was a 128 gig stick drive a couple of years ago now of course i dropped my old laptop at one point when the stick was in the side and it bent it but it was still good except for the fact that now <laughs> when i put it in the stick drive it, it reads properly it just kind of looks like a weird erect penis no 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 well, i guess it would be more of a micro penis when you really think of it but it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable thinking about that but it, it was a solid investment I, I don't remember when i got that probably the, the last time i was thinking about getting a laptop and then just kind of chickened out at the last second but wwf 1989 in the summertime it's been a long time since i've done a wwf show from this year i think it's been a full year i like i looked at my show list and i'm like huh wow i guess i haven't done one of these for a while it was the macho man coronation or the Macho King coronation from September of 89. And that's not even really the summertime. I know I did two June of 89 shows way back when. I think June 3rd and then June 24th. And don't worry, there's plenty of room for the June 17th one because that's in the queue. Along with This show had been in my queue since pretty much the second I started doing the podcast. It was something that I never moved down the list, but I just never got to. And this was taped... On June 28th, 89, in Rochester, New York, in Steve Bennett country, I asked him if he attended this taping, the same that he attended the Superstars taping in Buffalo in 1987, the one where the Honky Tonk Man defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the Intercontinental title, but he did not go to this one, but he went to the one in Niagara Falls the next day, I think it was, that was the Wrestling Challenge taping. They're building to SummerSlam 89, Very early in that process at this point, there's still five, six weeks before you get to that show on August 28th. A show that I very much enjoy. They do have most of it announced at this point. There's only nine matches on that show. For some reason, I remember it as being more. It might be a function of thinking of like WrestleMania 5 and the other WrestleMania shows having like just a ton of matches, but only nine matches on the show. And I think there were only two that they hadn't decided on. They had not yet uh, decided to have Greg Valentine face Hercules for whatever reason. And also I think the six-man, the Rougeaus and Martel against the Rockers and Tito, which is uh, something of a hidden gem, as I recall. But This being a 1989 Superstars, it's the peak of the powers of the Vince McMahon-Jesse Ventura bickering which I enjoy because while I might hate Vince McMahon as a human being because he's a complete asshole, Jesse Ventura is always going to be standing up to him in some way. So there's been a lot of Jesse clips on this show. Now, during this week in the WWF, or during this time period, we saw the debut of the Bobby Heenan show. It was actually 11 days before this. Originally, I thought it was July the 17th but it was actually July 11th maybe, maybe I have my dates confused but July of 89 is when the Bobby Heenan show comes out as the final half hour of the two-hour primetime wrestling I should just do the Heenan shows I mean uh, some of the research on that would be a little bit wonky because I don't I know I can I know some of the people who are on the Heenan show I definitely know the porn star Heather Hunter who was on there but other than that uh, it might be a little bit difficult probably a lot of uh, and people who had died i would guess but i should just do those originally my plan for this week was to do the episode of the morton downey jr show where he had all the pro wrestlers on but i, j- I just couldn't get myself up for that even though it had dr d david schultz and ted rcd there's a lot of moving pieces in that one and to do two weird episodes back to back would just be a little bit strange but You know, I I like curiosities like that. And back-to-back shows, I just didn't want to do. Dark matches on this taping. I do like to go into some of the stuff that happened on this taping as well. Shane McMahon refereed a dark match between Mark Young and Barry Horowitz. (laughs) Okay, that's a thing that happened, I guess. The main event dark match was the Macho Man Randy Savage against Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Hogan was off for a short period of time, but it's noticeable. June 26th to July 5th, he's not in action at all. I don't know if there's some sort of injury or whatnot. And also in a dark match, the Big Steel Man, which would be the future tugboat, defeated Paul Roma. So I guess he was working heel. The Big Steel Man persona from down in Florida was a heel character. So bring him in for a tryout. Coincidentally dusty Rhodes is here now and speaking of big dust they had run all those vignettes like you can beat my prices you can't beat my meat the plumber stuff pizza delivery garbage man well now he's going to actually appear in the arena twice on this show because he is the guest of the brother love show but he he will make himself known in a different way I should also mention the other thing that was going on in WWF this week was the taping of Saturday Night's Main Event on July 18th in Worcester, Massachusetts that would air the following Saturday on the 29th. The Brainbusters and Demolition for the WWF Tag Team titles. The end of the lengthy title reign for Demolition in a two out of three falls match, by the way where they changed the rules yet again, where, like, a DQ was allowed and you could actually have the titles change hands. Both the Brainbusters and Demolition are on the show, as well as the Intercontinental Champion, Ravishing Rick Rude. So, fairly star-studded edition of Superstars. But then again, conversely, you have the Red Rooster. And Hacksaw... Oh, no, no, no. Well, he's not just Hacksaw at this point. He is King Jim Duggan, because there's nothing more patriotic an American than calling yourself a king with a robe and all that but then again he was a transitional king the model Rick Martel speaking of transitional where he's just bad guy Rick Martel the same guy that he was before but not quite a model yet and the big boss man is in action in 89 mostly you'd see him around this time in the tag team with Akeem in the Twin Towers but here he's going to be going at it alone but he's gonna have company after the bout. So with all that in mind, why don't I just get right into this show? WWE Superstars from July twenty second, nineteen eighty nine. But uh, that bow down there—that's a pretty interesting hobby he has for his vacation. When baseball ends, he winds up
0: uh, playing uh, playing f- football. I, I just—I don't know if there's ever been anyone doing it. Hey. He's remarkable, and look at that one. Bo Jackson says hello
1: i scaled back a little on the sports clips the last couple of weeks. But July 1989, you have to name one sporting event, the MLB All-Star Game that year. I don't even remember where it was. I think it was Anaheim, California. And Bo Jackson hitting a leadoff home run in the bottom of the first inning with Ronald Reagan announcing alongside Vince Scully, which was rather interesting because Reagan called Cubs games in the 1930s. Him and Scully were talking about except – in those days, it's not like Reagan was watching the game and describing it. He would get the accounts and then describe that to the people and just kind of paint a fanciful picture or whatever. Can't go wrong with Bo Jackson highlights. I, I think that's a rule of people who were born around the time that I was. So as we start the show, this is also one of my favorite eras of superstars where Vince McMahon lets us know... Where, we're t- where the show is emanating from this week is going to give us a few juicy tidbits about what's going on. Unfortunately, this one cuts off the beginning of it a little bit. War Memorial.
0: The War Memorial is the home of the Rochester Americans, the American Hockey League attendance leaders for the past seven straight years. Upcoming at the War Memorial on July 26th will be clapping. this week why the rag that ain't a rag on top of my head that's called fashion mcmahon something you know nothing about it's obvious. let's get down to business
1: there's several reasons why the rochester americans would have good attendance for hockey number one upstate new york is a hotbed for that sort of thing number two they had been around for a while a stable steady franchise which you don't necessarily always find in the minor leagues and three they're nhl affiliate was the buffalo sabers so you had that natural marriage of you know being nearby that wasn't always the case back in those days but of course you want me to talk about the club mtv tour that was going on in 1989 featuring these four acts tone loke millie vanilli lisa lisa and cult jam and paula abdul the latter of which sounds like she would be the headliner but this is 1989 Paula Abdul. She's not fully established yet. Millie Vanilli hadn't won the Grammys yet. I mean, yeah, they're breaking out on the charts. And Tone Loke had, you know, a song or two. But none of these are names that are going to get you to sell tickets. They, It was kind of like four mid-card acts like yeah sure Paula might be flirting with the intercontinental level you know to put it in wrestling perspective but and that was the concern in trying to s- sell tickets in the struggle and that sort of thing Jesse sticking it to Vince is just so great And and that's that's a reason why I picked the show You might be getting more Superstars episodes From the time Bruno leaves To when the time Jesse leaves In the next little while Because uh, it's, it's always going to get me excited To do these Like what's Jesse going to say How's he going to make fun of Vince There's certainly plenty of that going on or what's Jesse going to say about the guy in the ring or whoever the babyface is in this case it is King Duggan taking on the masked gladiator and Jesse wastes absolutely no time he comes out swinging or more appropriately he's coming in hot (laughs) objectively that's funny because of how absurd it is he's suggesting he wants to light jim duggan on fire you know when talking about flag burning <laughs> can you imagine anything like that on tv i mean god forbid anybody be entertaining on tv now for the wwe i mean i had high hopes for Corey graves but he turned out to be a complete dink issue of flag desecration and laws prohibiting it and whether it's first amendment protected and all was a hot button issue in 1988 in part because there was a case going on that was decided by the supreme court only a couple of days before this taping which would be why it was on everybody's mind texas versus johnson and gregory lee johnson Basically, what he did was he burned the flag outside a, the Republican Convention in Texas in 1984. He's convicted. There was laws against desecrating the flag in 48 out of the 50 states. I don't know what the two are. I was kind of interested in that, but then I, I lost interest. Go, eventually makes its way to the Supreme Court, and it's decided 5-4 to four in Johnson's favor, striking down flag desecration laws because... Number one, it is, while it is not necessarily speaking speech, it is a form of protected speech. But what's interesting to me is when you see a 5-4 decision, you think, okay, conservatives were on one side and the liberal justices were on the other side. Oh, no, not this time. I, <laughs> Antonin Scalia and Thurgood Marshall were in the majority on this together. So there was a definite mixture in the years since, the Supreme Court has been plenty politicized. But in this case, the court first considered the question of whether the First Amendment to the Constitution protected non-speech acts since Johnson was convicted of flag desecration rather than verbal communication. And if so, whether Johnson's burning of the flag constituted expressive conduct which would permit him to invoke the First Amendment in challenging his conviction. First Amendment specifically disallows the abridgment of speech... But the court reiterated its long recognition that its protection does not end at the spoken or written word. This was concluded based on the 1931 case Stromberg v. California, which ruled that the display of a red flag as speech and the 1969 speech Tinker v. Des Moines Independent Community School District, which ruled the wearing of a black armband as speech. And the court rejected the view that an apparently limitless variety of conduct can be labeled speech whenever the person engaging in the conduct intends thereby to express an idea, but acknowledged that the conduct may, sufficiently imbued, may be sufficiently imbued with elements of communication to fall within the scope of the First and Fourteenth Amendments. Now, I don't want to turn this into a legal podcast here, but I do agree with the court's decision while personally i don't think i would ever reach a point where i would want to burn the flag of the united states of america i do see it as protective speech and that's why we are a great country because we have a first amendment and we permit speech even kinds that are absolutely reprehensible some of which is even on twitter believe it or not so king duggan is he's waving his robe around but generally showing complete disrespect for the uniform as Vince says he looks like Batman, which was out in theaters in nineteen eighty nine. Jesse says he looks like King Leonardo, which <laughs> I didn't know what that was. It, was. it was apparently it was a cartoon from the early sixties. And one that I never saw in my childhood, so which is kind of surprising. Is Jesse just complain you know, his complaint about Duggan. He's like he's such a brawler and not not a good wrestler, which you say Jesse Ventura complaining about somebody's wrestling skill. Well jesse addresses that
0: but he doesn't possess great wrestling ability he's a brawler strictly a brawler yeah. what's wrong with that nothing he wins for you just when you wrestle i was a scientific precise wrestler, scientific, precise wrestler. Knew every move inside and out through drop kicks use the ropes everywhere yeah you sure did in your dreams maybe.
1: When I started doing this podcast, I probably would have come down on the side like, Oh, I hate Duggan. He was so cartoonish. Mid-South Duggan, so much better. But I've grown to appreciate WWF Duggan. Maybe not so much WCW Duggan because it was, you know, it was kind of off the deep end. But WWF Duggan, okay, he's the patriotic guy. And yeah, he's a brawler. And, you know, maybe I don't find his shtick particularly multi-dimensional or anything. He's just the patriotic guy. But... And, and he w- wasn't putting on great matches or even great brawls but he's he's living the dream in that he's doing you know as little as possible but making as much money as he can that's the name of the game it is I mean why should he do drop kicks why should he come off the top rope that's not how he's built anyway he just sends the gladiator into the buckle two times but then as if almost to show up Jesse he puts on a hammerlock and sends the gladiator into the corner. So basically the same move, but with a hammer lock added to it. A body slam and the three point stance finishes. So, yes, the, the brief reign of King Duggan is certainly a transas- transitional king, but anytime you get Jesse Ventura in there complaining, about Duggan I don't know what I like more when Jesse really is effusive in his praise for somebody like a ravishing Rick Rude who we're going to see a little bit later or when he really hates a guy like Duggan I, I I think I gotta go for when Jesse is really negative on somebody from the
0: pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine here's a thing. All right, here we go again, folks. The focus of this update is going to be the official announcement of the hottest wrestling action of this summer, SummerSlam! From the Meadowlands, happens Monday
1: night, August the 28th. A couple of reasons why they held SummerSlam in the New Jersey Meadowlands that year is MSG was closed for renovation. Same would be true in 1990. So you think about SummerSlam, 88, the first one, they have it at MSG, and then 91, which would be the next summer that MSG wasn't under renovation, they go back there. So clearly they wanted to keep it in the Northeast, in the New York area. But the other reason is, early in 1989, They had gone, that was when they went to the New Jersey State Athletic Commission in an effort to try and get a break on how much the commission would take in kickbacks. I mean, let's face it, that's basically what they were doing. And they would admit, they would expose the business by, well, you know, the John Stossel. I think this is fake. By admitting that in what had to have been a less whiny way than John Stossel was accusatory, I would say. They're hoping to get a break on the taxes or whatever with the State Athletic Commission. Well, it didn't work in 1989. That never happened until 1997, which, as you recall, they go back to the Meadowlands for SummerSlam that year and present the governor of the state, Christine Todd Whitman, the w- a WWF winged eagle belt for whatever reason. So they tried, and it didn't work, but... I guess they had made their decision in the hopes that this would goose along that process but i don't think it worked so as i said most of the card had been laid out the main event the challenge had gone down two weeks before this beefcake baba and all of that savage and zeus against beefcake and hogan who had not named themselves which good and none of that mega maniac stuff the yeah, IC title match is obvious. The Warrior was going to get the return match against Rude. Demolition and Duggan against Andre and the Twin Towers. Duggan was not supposed to be there originally, supposedly. It was going to be Big John Studd, but he had quit at the previous Superstars taping. And probably for the best, because I don't know how that match would have gone if you replace Duggan, uh, Duggan with Studd. His whole finish is Duggan's 2x4. I don't know, maybe Duggan you know, accompanies them? Who knows? Dusty Rhodes and the Honky Tonk Man in a match that's not good, but I find wildly entertaining and rewatchable. Jimmy Snuka and Ted DiBiase, neither guy has much going on. We're actually going to get promos from both of them later. The Heart Foundation against the Brain Busters in something of a dream match... Because these two teams were respective WWF and NWA tag team champions as the calendar rolled from 1987 into 1988. And that match, I think, lived up to the hype, in in my opinion. And the Red Rooster against Mr. Perfect, which is thought of so highly that it doesn't even get the little graphic that all the other ones do. But one thing that I enjoyed... About this segment, yeah, you don't get any promos. There's no news or anything. At least they got really, really deep into that SummerSlam song.
0: And by the way, next week we'll have an announcement on more action that is going to be slated for the hottest, spectacular this summer, SummerSlam, the Meltdown at the Meadowlands Monday night, August the twenty-eighth. For update, I'm Gene Okerlin.
1: There are certain songs that get me really fired up. I know "Bulls on Parade" by Rage Against the Machine. That that would fit that description. But that SummerSlam backing music, oh, that makes me want to run through a wall. Also,
0: I bought that one over
1: there by McPherson. Uh,
0: the only thing I don't understand a is a why hasn't Tony approached me to referee this? Let's right the ring. Well, I think maybe everyone had
1: enough of that last year, Jess. What do you think, really? Well, Jesse, the problem is we don't have superstar Billy Graham around to fill in for you. Or call him a main man. <laughs> God Almighty, we also would have missed out on Jesse in his just hack job on Hogan in the main event. Like, now if you let this replay go a little bit longer, we're gonna see Hogan hitting a woman. <laughs> so the match, the or the music you could hear for the upcoming bout the big boss man and slick making their way down taking on jim mcpherson and slick is dancing in the ring having a good time boss man don't dance it was so great to see them back together on family feud in 1993 (laughs) like side by side on you know on the for the for the forces of good completely opposite of what they are here McPherson's kind of an interesting dude. He's like a, like a gymnastic move when he's introduced that Vince actually comments upon. And he uses his speed to avoid the boss man early on. But when he gets whipped into the corner, he does what I can only describe as a flare flip. And then immediately goes up top, but tries a crossbody and hits absolutely nothing. Now the bad optics that you're going to get at the end here because Jim McPherson is an African-American man, and you have this law enforcement officer, prison guard, however you want to call it, and the whole white guy beating down... white guy with a little Confederate flag that's part of the Georgia State flag beating down a black man, not the greatest optics in the world. But if anybody knows how to draw my attention away from something like that, it is Jesse the Body Ventura who brings up the whole notion of going to jail and suggests that maybe Vince should be behind bars.
0: How did you elude the authorities all these years? You I know, mean, elude the authorities. I was at FBI headquarters, and I saw a guy that looked a lot like you on the 10 most wanted list down there. No, I don't believe so. Big boss man hammering away on the back of the neck. I always wondered why you put that toupee on. Toupee changed your looks, didn't you?
1: jesse's musings make their way to sean o'shea five years later vince is standing down the barrel of a freaking log prison sentence and everything could have ended at that point big boss man slam finishes for the win but before he can interrogate mcpherson cuff him to the ropes beat him with the nightstick before he can get all that a noted african-american crusader hits the ring
0: in his hand is coming up behind
1: couple of things to note. There are no polka dots to be seen on him. He's wearing a tie-dye shirt, which does look a little ridiculous, but with Morocco and Billy Graham gone, th- that's completely up for grabs. He stole the hat, stole the handcuffs, stole the nightstick. So he, he's got all these accessories now. So he he does not look quite as ridiculous, you know, from the get go. And this is the first time he's appearing on television in front of a crowd. And I'm not including, you know, WWF on Nesson at the Boston Garden, where he filled in for Jake against DiBiase in June of '89. He made appearances on house shows, filling in for Jake against the Million Dollar Man. That was kind of his role in ring at the very beginning. But of course, while they might not be embarrassing him with the polka dots and all that other crap (laughs) jesse is given plenty of room by vince to lay in a cheap shot
0: it's gonna get down
1: In spite of all the little goofy cheap shots that they would make about him and the polka dots and all that stuff, it's so great that he made it work for a period of time, given how the JCP thing ended after such a long, good run as the Booker. But we'll actually see him a little bit later on the Brother Love Show, where I'll probably be reiterating the same point. As we go to the event center with Sean Mooney, and I'm holding my breath, are we going to get a real event center or is it just going to be like one of those generic deals well it's a real event but it's actually just for SummerSlam. so apparently just gonna hype the pay-per-view and we start out with the former intercontinental champion the ultimate warrior and you know me if there's anything that i love more than anything in the world is ultimate warrior promos
0: it is far too late, Ravishing Recruit, to feel sorry for yourself and wish that you had not committed the unnatural acts upon the ultimate warrior. For you see, all the acts that have been committed only create the frustration and anger that I live for, Ravishing Recruit. Now you realize that. Now you feel pity. Now you feel sorry for yourself. And you realize that you must surrender the intercontinental belt because you cannot handle the magnetism that surrounds it. At SummerSlam! Rick Rude, when I claim the intercontinental belt, I will fulfill and pass one last test in the destiny of the ultimate warrior. I will regain the intercontinental belt as I lift you into the clouds and you speak to the gods. I will beat you. One, two,
1: three. I was a little worried there when he said unnatural acts. I'm like, oh God, is he going to go in on the gays again? But thankfully, he laid off just this one time. Warrior had some serious De Deschanel-style bangs going on here. I, I don't, it, it works on her, because, you know, I would definitely have sex with her, but not the Ultimate Warrior, because he would consider that an unnatural act. I mean, by his by his own admission, you know, based on everything that he said, University of Connecticut and all that. Up next, Honky Tonk Man, who's going to be facing the American Dream Dusty Rhodes at SummerSlam. And he's definitely... Uh, <laughs> On the back nine of his tenure. I mean, things aren't going to get to that level that they once were.
0: You know, Dusty Rhodes, the honky tonk man can outsing you. He can outdance you. And you're going to find out, baby, he can outrest you. <laughs> Feel the heat, Dusty Rhodes. Yes, sir. The honky tonk man can outrest you. The honky tonk man can outsing you. Oh, yeah. And the honky tonk man can definitely outplay anybody on the guitar. And I know what you need. And I can see it right now man delivering pizzas, cleaning out stables, picking up trash. He needs to feel some heat. He needs to feel the heat of the Honky Tonk Man. He needs a hit, Jimmy. We're going to have to get a new hit for SummerSlam. (laughs) It might be called Feel the Heat, Dusty.
1: Quite a fall from grace for the Honky Tonk Man, who once was successfully headlining B-Shows as an Intercontinental Champion. A little over a year before this, and now is reduced to as a singles wrestler. I mean, the tag team with Valentine made sense because, you know, at least it would make him at least seem a little bit more viable. But as a singles guy, he's just... Just a guy who hits people with guitars. Like, what a great gimmick that is. It's freaking Jeff Jarrett with cheese.
0: Well, we'll find out if they can wrestle because this right here is probably the most fluid wrestling team in the World Wrestling Federation today. Maybe. Maybe. Very interesting to see what they do I guess the, the Heart, Heart Foundation, Foundation at SummerSlam. That should be an outstanding wrestling match. Definitely.
1: One more interesting thing about that dream match with the Brain Busters and the Heart Foundation that led off SummerSlam 89 is you got Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura announcing it. So you have one old school Crockett guy and a WWF guy in Ventura who's been there since 84. So you get representation from each side. It, It is kind of like worlds colliding, those two teams. And also, it's another chance to see Brett in there with both Arn and Tully Blanchard, which is just magnificent. I mean, I, I think of a Brett Tully Blanchard feud like way more than like the like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the population. I think about Brett versus Tully and how such a feud and the matches in it would go. So it's the Brainbusters, just ass kickers extraordinaire, taking on Dave Paradise and Mike Peskin, who they call a mutton Jeff team. Vince does. I don't know, they're kind of odd looking. My respect for the brainbusters was born entirely out of the aftermags and the way that they were treated in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and all that. So when they came in, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I knew who they were even though I was young and not even really watching the NWA. I only knew what they looked like from the magazines. Of course, I didn't save any of those magazines. I have a whole freaking tub of Sports Illustrateds in my trunk right now. If you're interested in any of them from like 92 to 99, it's probably about the years that I have in there. I don't know, I still haven't taken it out of the car cuz it's really heavy and I it's going to be hell bringing it down cellar. So Peskin ends up in trouble early with both Arn and Tully alternating as jesse kind of breaking down the upcoming match with the hearts makes a very important point about the heart foundation what they were up to in 1999 1989 and why they would be at a disadvantage
0: the heart foundation has been wrestling singles competition for the last six months a lot more than they've been wrestling tag team the busters have been strictly tag team i think they're going to be better and a more well-oiled machine in that match the Busters can very well be tag team champions. By the time they get to SummerSlam, they're going to have their opportunity here very shortly. But that may be wishful thinking.
1: I'd say the counter to Jesse's argument was, well, they tagged for a long time, and it's kind of like riding a bicycle. It's not like they're in a different team than they were in before. It's not like they completely forgot. Arn and Tully, of course, would win the tag titles the following week on the aforementioned Saturday night's main event, which Vince doesn't refer to by name. It's rather interesting how, how sort of circumspect they are in talking about Saturday night's main event and then when you get to Saturday Night's Main Event, how weirdly, like, they don't allude to pay-per-views except some of the time later on. Like the one right before WrestleMania 3, they don't mention WrestleMania 3. I covered that and the March of 87, Saturday Night's Main Event. As one of the job guys out on the floor, he's thrown right into an Arn Anderson forearm. Just beautiful. And back inside it's probably Dave Paradise as Tully drops three straight elbows on him. As our inset promo is, well, as you'd expect from the manager, Bobby Heenan, but he's got a little bit of a different message.
0: Yeah, I've had it up to here with Gorilla Monsoon, Wrestling Challenge. Yeah, I walked off. Why? Because I carried that show and I carried them for as long as I was on that program. And when they get on their hands and knees and start crawling and begging me to
1: come back, I'm not going to, because for once, I'm going to start thinking about myself. The same time that they're creating the Bobby Heenan show and running those four episodes, right at the beginning of that is when he walks off Wrestling Challenge, and now it becomes the Tony Schiavone and Gorilla Monsoon show. So Heenan is not commentating. Commentating on any of the weekly TV at this point, but on primetime, eventually they would have him remote in from the Bobby Heenan Show studio and have one on ones with Piper that were pretty priceless when you go back and watch those. They're just unbelievable. As Peskin, Mike Peskin, gets in, and, and this is just a complete domination by Arnold Tully as we get a gourd buster by Arn, Did not see this very often in WWF. He would use that in his early Crockett days as his finisher. And this one was actually assisted by Tully. Sort of looked like they were going to do a double suplex, but instead, once they got him up, Arn just sort of dropped him face first like a front suplex. And the Spike pile driver once again, I love the way they would do this, since it's technically an illegal move. They would set it up with Tully slugging the guy on the apron, Dave Paradise, referee would get distracted when that guy would come in and then boom they would hit that spike pile driver just absolutely magnificent the the brain busters anybody who says oh they weren't a good fit in the WWF no no they 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 were absolutely the diversity that the they needed what in the hell's diversity well I, i could be wrong But I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Ron, I would be surprised if the affiliates were concerned about the lack
0: of an old, old wooden ship, but nice try.
1: Rest in peace, Fred Willard. I'm not sure what his greatest role of all time was, but he was in a lot of the Christopher Guest stuff. And I righted a wrong by finally watching Best in Show over the weekend where he's the commentator the clueless commentator at the dog show and he is just he's just magnificent in that Yes, the Red Rooster is here, fresh off his feud victory over the Brooklyn Brawler, finally, that took him many, many months. He's taking on a fellow by the name of Chris Evans, who is not the Chris Evans who became Captain America, but it might as well be, because he he got in a hell of a lot more offense in this match than what you would expect. One thing I hate, okay, now I, I have talked about how my eyes have been open these last few months or the last couple of years to jim johnston's work and who knows it might not have been jim johnston might have been jimmy hart on this one the red rooster's theme and hearing that and i hear that song one of my favorites from the gap band early in the morning which has that same kind of sound at the beginning of it are they using the same rooster in both of them and now I've got to actually just lay the tracks over each other to figure this out. they aren't exactly in alignment. The Red Rooster one, the first cock crowing is a little bit longer and then there's a little bit more of a space in the Red Rooster theme between them. So they, they are slightly off. So it's not like Johnston Hart, whoever did a simple cut and paste on that. So I, I find them not guilty of plagiarism, although it is pretty close. Ronnie Garvin is our referee at this point, which is far more interesting than anything the Red Rooster is up to because Garvin is... Just trying to find a gig after losing the retirement match to Greg Valentine. His first one is as a referee. He eventually gets busted from doing that because he put his hands on Dino Bravo, you know, thereby continuing the feud that had kicked off at WrestleMania Five that everybody wanted to see. But we're, we're we're still a ways away where he becomes the ring announcer at SummerSlam, and I like this because Ronnie Garvin designed this angle for himself. In Jim Crockett Promotions, wasn't able to do it there, and brought it to Vince. And I, I mean, what the hell else was Ronnie Garvin gonna be doing? Would you have rather seen him dropping like from the very start, uh, like he was in 1990? Because that's what would have been happening if we didn't get the Garvin Valentine feud. It's far more preferable to talk about what the Red Rooster is doing. He's gonna blow out his knee at SummerSlam in the middle of the Mister Perfect match. Like I said, Evans gets in quite a deal, quite a great deal of offense here as our inset promo, thankfully, is from Mr. Perfect.
0: I'll be the first to admit, you make a few good moves, Red Rooster, and you use them very effectively, but I don't think you're made of the right stuff to compete at the same level as Mr. Perfect. In SummerSlam, Red Rooster, you'll know what Mr. Perfect's all about. That's confidence for you, isn't it? And I got to agree with Mr. Perfect. Like I said, he's going to tear this guy apart.
1: Yes, Taylor hurt his knee, and that might have cut the match short a little bit at about three minutes and change, I think it was. But do you really think Perfect and Rooster were going to go ten minutes? I mean, where are those seven minutes going to come from? you got to save it for the main event. What were they going to take that out of? That's all I'm going to say. Maybe that would have gone two, three minutes tops longer as Rooster hits a back elbow. But Evans fights back, but he puts his head down. A cardinal mistake for a ring veteran who does not have much of a cage match record, I have to say. I wish there could have been a little bit more on him since he shares the name of the actor, but unfortunately, no, as Rooster hits a neck breaker when Evans puts his head down. And I'll give Taylor a little bit of credit here. He, he actually starts working the arm, which sets up the chicken wing, the elevated chicken wing thing that he would do where the guy taps out right away because it's not something that you could hold on to for a long period of time. So, yeah, it's a Red Rooster match on 1989 WWF television. What can I really say? I mean, how the hell are we going to top this? Oh, wait, I have an idea. Why don't we go to Sensational Sherry, the Macho Man, and Zeus, who are going to talk for two minutes about the SummerSlam main event.
0: yeah, Bill Tour trip. Didn't you? Yeah. When you guys accepted the challenge, you made fools of yourselves. Yeah. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. But this is like taking candy from a baby. Yeah. This time you've bitten off more than you can chew. And you can't swallow it. Because I am telling you, when you see Zeus walk down that aisle at SummerSlam, your eyes are gonna be beyond belief, and just like I promised you, Zeus, the Macho Man Randy ah! Savage is gonna be right behind you, and behind the Macho Man Randy Savage is Lady Luck, Sensational Sherry, the keeper of the secret ingredient of the Cold of the madness, yeah, I smell something burning, yeah, I can feel something bubbling and boiling, sensational sherry lady luck, am I right? Oh yeah, bubbling and brewing, brewing and a natural disaster for you, big cake, brewing for you, Hulk Hogan, that will become yours. <laughs> state of it's execution Spider-Man! is at Summer Slam. Yeah, which there will be no parole and no resurrection. Zeus, you got the eye of the madness. <laughs> Can you feel <build> the power? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, love it. Yeah, get <laughs> in there. Get the <laughs> beat the beat oh, yeah.
1: Another aspect of 1989 WWF that I love is the long form promos that they were giving to Randy Savage at various points of the year. Leading up to SummerSlam, you're going to give him two full minutes here. Yeah, Zeus is there, but he's not really going to say too much of anything unless it's something about Beefcake Baba. Sherry, who's just magnificent at this time, give this guy the room that he needs. To create. And same for Hogan and Beefcake, although they, they're a little bit nutty and perhaps a little homoerotic at times. But at, earlier in the year, before WrestleMania Five, when they would always have the dueling promos of Hogan and Savage, the, the Rashomon promos that I've called them in the past, where they saw the Elizabeth thing from two completely different perspectives. And they were just these fired up things. And you wonder why... Oh, how did WrestleMania Five draw 750,000 or whatever the hell the number was buys on pay-per-view? It was stuff like that. It, it, ca- I don't want to say it was character development because they were, they were fully fleshed out, but letting great talkers talk. Gee, what a concept that is. Uh-oh.
0: A guy who can wrestle right here. Indeed, he certainly can. You notice how his career has skyrocketed since he's gotten with the Slickster. I'm beaten since being with the Slickster. Yeah, I know that for a fact. Trying to dance, he falls a little short of the mark, I think. Oh, you're a fine one to talk about dancing.
1: Yeah, Vince certainly has a unique style of dance, as we learned from the 87 Slammy Awards. as Rick Martell with Slick, yes, it's during that era, taking on public Terry Daniels, because he's not a private. He has gone public, I would imagine, at this point. And Martel's dancing leaves a lot to be desired. It is certainly extremely awkward. But you got to remember, this guy was dancing with girls in cars before, and now he's dancing with boys in the hood. So th- things have really changed for him. And the heel—it basically what he is right now, without being a model—is a heel version of Rick Martel, the babyface wrestler. And that that wasn't gonna work going forward. He is the classic example of a guy who needed a gimmick to, what's the term? Bruce Pritchard says to give him a little something. Well, some guys actually do need that. I know a lot of people roll their eyes at, at stuff Pritchard says, but he's actually correct in that case. And it takes time for the gimmick to take hold. Because he's got to figure it out. This guy has been a babyface for so long. He's one of the best of the 1980s at it. And now you want him to become a heel. It's like Ricky Morton a couple of years later. They turned him heel of the York Foundation. Well, of course, there's was 91 WCW. It was like... what, what? The, <laughs> there was no follow-through or anything. They basically did it just to just to do it. It was like like Rick James or whatever. But with Martell, it took until probably Wrestlemania 6 for the thing to really really catch steam as Jesse calls Daniels a good competent wrestler which I, I thought was neat maybe maybe a little bit of a wink and a nod to his pass as Bartell gets kicked off into the ropes when he bounces back he cartwheels around a monkey flip attempt and is doing that still kind of doing that babyface thing where he's like hey look at me but <laughs> the inset promo for this match is kind of funny because sometimes you get random third parties who are not feuding with the guy in the ring not really even a close ally of the guy in the ring not the manager nope the genius is going to weigh in on ricky Martel.
0: the genius knows that rick Martel's a credit to his race and 50 million frenchmen can't be wrong not only do i know for sure martel can beat santana i doubt if it would take him very long
1: there's a question of why didn't martel and santana have like a final blow-off match to end this feud and they did have matches on tv over the years i mean i think they had one in 91 on challenge it's the one where jake blindly attacks tito actually that would have been late 1990 so on uh, Saturday night's main event, I think in the fall of 89, they had a match that was kind of enveloped by the Survivor Series teams that each guy was on. But part of it is the ultimate winner of the feud is going to be Martel. He's supposed to come out of this stronger because you're trying to put him over and that model character. But at the end of the day, you want to protect Tito because you're going to keep Tito around to put somebody else over and you don't want to devalue him. So you kind of subtly put Martel over by, you know, have him, so, you know, kind of casually win the feud without any sort of main blow-off. A lot of cartwheels by Martel. He's kind of overusing that spot here. And when he's a little bit braggadocious, Daniels catches him with a dropkick for which Martel gets right up and dropkicks him and Daniels gets right back up and his dropkick misses. And Martel goes to you know the actual wrestling moves with the gut wrench suplex and locks in the Boston crab and I'm like okay that's that, that's neat he's going back to that because when he turned heel he dropped that as his finisher but after locking it in for a few seconds he decides no no I'm I'm not gonna win that way and instead hits some Daniels gets up hits some shots to the gut on Martel but Martel slams him and follows it up with a knee. Off the top rope to get the three count, <laughs> and after the match, as the Jive Soul Bro is playing, and Slick is gonna dance with his man. I swear to God, my next YouTube project should be something along these lines, and it probably wouldn't take me very long because it would be all Martel matches from this era where he's with Slick, which was dropped because I they realized there was no chemistry between the guys. Rick Martel's dance party. I think as a just a montage of all the times that Rick Martel is dancing with Slick that would be every bit as good as Lord Steven Regal walking to the ring for 20 straight minutes. If I was any good at this sort of thing, and maybe I'll get better at it now that I have a laptop and things just work a lot faster, I would love to take the Jive Soul Bro video where Slick is dancing with all the people in the street and somehow manage to like CGI Rick Martell awkwardly dancing in the middle of all of that. That would just be magnificent.
0: This should be very interesting. Amen. man the difference between an athlete and a
1: non-athlete. A what? I've listened to that a million times, and I don't know where Jesse is going with the difference between an athlete and a non-athlete. I also like how Jesse says athlete, Like, like it's got like three or four syllables in it. But interesting that I'm covering this in a week where Dusty Rhodes, some footage has turned up on YouTube, or it's been brought to light by chad campbell of the north south podcast connection with jt Verzero. he pointed out that there's this game on youtube between the nwa and the police so the guys from jim crockett promotions by the way the fact that there's a basketball match between something called the nwa and the police well that's very interesting although it happened about a year before the rap group came out with all their great songs and straight out of compton but dusty in that game, now first of all, watching Dusty Rhodes play basketball is kind of funny to me from the footage that I saw. The best guy on the JCP team, and this had to have been early in '88 because it was the baby faces, was Barry Windham. And you got a six-six guy who could take it to the hall. The problem was the cops were just manhandling him like they were the freaking '88 Pistons or something. Like I don't know what was going on, and they 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 weren't getting called on it. But Big Dust, there's a clip of him hitting a three-pointer, but what you don't see is all the other times where Dusty gets the ball and he, he basically is like Costanza in Seinfeld. He's a chucker.
0: I have to dribble. If I give it to you, you just shoot. You're a chucker. Oh, chucker. That's right. Every time you get the ball, you shoot. I can't believe you called me a chucker. No way I'm a chucker. I do not chuck. Never chuck. Never have chucked. Never will chuck. No chuck. <laughs> you
1: chuck? Dusty's hanging out by the three-point line when he should have been setting picks for Wyndham, because if Dusty Rhodes is setting a pick on one of the police officers, it's going to take a while for him to circle around. And Wyndham, you know, you could just do a pick and roll and Wyndham could get to the basket pretty quickly. That would have been nice and easy. But no, Dusty had to had to be the star. But anyway, that, that's 1988 Jim Crockett promotion. So that's pretty much par for the course. Here he is in 1989 WWF. And he is certainly reborn at least in these first couple of instances where you see him he's definitely fired up at that boston garden show on june 3rd you you can tell just watching the footage of that and here when he did the run in earlier and now on the brother love show now i'm I'm sure he's probably comfortable with bruce pritchard they know each other from way back but what's great about this particular interview it's not that he's not acting cartoony or anything like that and he is going to dance at the end is that he does make, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not. I don't want to turn this into like some sort of Shakespearean lecture about like hidden meanings, but it's interesting that he's using the term hard times in a promo the way that he is. Yeah,
0: you know, I have some news for you. You, know, you have bitten off a little bit more than you can chew, sticking your nose in the big boss man's business. Wow, man, brother, love! You're talking about me doing hard times, I don't do hard times, I am the good time rock and roll man, and the big boss man, he's so mad now, I got his Billy club, yeah, I got his handcuff. Ooh, boss man, made you the judge jury, of americana nobody did. People on the streets now, all the brothers now are saying, we're not afraid anymore. <laughs> I love, brother. We're not afraid because Dusty Rose Americana now hold the cup Now hold the club And now it's going to be good times in America. Good time Americana. And, Buzzman, man, I bet this hurts when you hit somebody with it. Doing. How it's going to feel when I bring it in to you? When I got the cuffs, I got the club, and I got the good times. And woo, I'm going to tell you something that will turn me sour, and that's this music, brother. I want this music. Stop the music. Stop it now. I want to hear some good time rock and roll. I want to hear some good time common man. Let's get it now, baby! Uh, yeah. Yeah!
1: for whatever reason when Dusty died in June of 2015 this is one of the first promos that I thought of which I know seems insane because there's a lot more of them on the weekly JCP show earlier in the 80s such as the famous hard times promo leading up to Starcade 85 which i i don't think he's referencing it on purpose because the boss man would say the people were going to do hard time but it's a nice little coincidence it's cool how he's working with ray trailer the big boss man a guy that dusty Rhodes gave a break to a little more than three years before this where ray trailer is working an enhancement match and impresses by being able to take the slingshot suplex despite being a man of well over 300 pounds but Dusty looks so comfortable out there. He's not out of place and he's not wearing a bunch of polka dots, which is the way everybody sort of remembers him from this run. And when he says, the good I am the good time, rock and roll man. I always remember that line. It'll never fail to make me smile. See, I've been very jaded about wrestling lately. I think I needed something like this in my life again. Now if you if you break down like a lot of Dusty Rhodes promos such as the hard times promo is the exact same way it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense if you're trying to like what what does he mean by this or that like well it makes people feel good at the end of the day and that is why people cheer for him it's kind of like why dusty rose a lot like ronald reagan in some ways like reaganism a lot of it didn't make any sense but it made people feel good about themselves which I guess is a means to an end or something. Anyway, Brother Love was really pissed that he cut off the music. And I'm thinking how they had never played the... This is, I guess, the debut of the Dusty Rhodes theme song because he had never been in the arena. So I don't know. Maybe going forward I should do more stuff like this. Things that I've latched onto that might not be the biggest thing in the world such as Dusty Rhodes' first appearance. I had forgotten that it was actually his first time on the TV after all the vignettes when he runs in on the Boss Man. But this appearance on the Brother Love Show is something that makes me feel good. And I'll admit, it's something that I pull up probably three or four times a year to watch because I enjoy it just that much.
0: What I'd like to have right now is all. Rochester Rugrats. Oh my goodness, you're from Keep Rochester. Keep the noise Rachel. down no. while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real sexy man is supposed to look like. Hit the music.
1: I've often told people that Twitter is just an absolute cesspool and it gets worse the deeper and that you drill down into it. But occasionally it can be used for good. And in one recent example is some hero out there. I don't know who it is. I, I can't identify the person, but they have created a Twitter account that only tweets out GIF files and videos of Rick Rude selling atomic drops, which I can't be more delighted. And I hope that this thing keeps going for a while, you know, that it lasts a little bit longer than the Lex Luger yelling while selling one a couple of years ago. I remember that coming along. And yes, the Intercontinental Champion, Ravishing Rick Roode, is here, taking on Tony Durante, who go on to become Pitbull number two in ECW. Much greater fame for that. Although, I always like the matches where Gary Wolf is there, and it's like the Pitbulls before they were the Pitbulls against the But Roode has quite the entourage with him, with Heenan and Andre the Giant. And I just want to let you know... That the greetings from allentown watch on andre he is wearing the black singlet so he's not you know sort of past that curve that (laughs) where he just becomes completely unwatchable rochester rugrats hey hey, i'll say one thing for rochester new york dinosaur barbecue is a hell of a joint okay for for some good barbecue and i actually called it correctly because (laughs) I i often refer to it in my head as dinosaur junior barbecue I don't I don't know why I do that. So Rude felt the pain from the Ultimate Warrior attacking him during the Rude Awakening. I think a couple of times before this. I know in June the Warrior ran in and attacked it. I think it was the June 17th Superstars, which I covered way back when. I don't know what episode number. So I was thinking about Rick Rude in the Hulk Hogan era. So let's say 84 to 92 among. Heel champions. Well, obviously there's no heel world champion with the exception of Savage for that wonderful eight weeks after the turn on the main event and WrestleMania 5. Can't really count that. And you got, well, I guess Ric Flair from the 92 Rumble to WrestleMania 8. But even then, he's not even really defending it in singles matches. It's usually tag matches involving Piper and Hogan and stuff like that. And then, of course, The Undertaker, six days as the champion. So you'd think, okay, let's go more on the Intercontinental title level. Where does Rick Rude in the summer of 1989 rank amongst those guys? I certainly place him below Honky Tonk Man because Honky was carrying B-shows in 87 because everybody hated him so much just that the heat that he was generating was unbelievable i'd rank him below greg valentine in 84 and 85 mainly because i think valentine was extremely versatile you could have the matches with tito but he could also get decent matches out of other guys as well certainly below macho man savage in 86 into 87 i don't think there's any question of that got mr perfect you can make arguments there but most people would probably put perfect above him And and as I was was going through this exercise, I thought to myself, wow, a lot of guys are ranked ahead of Rude, unless we split the Honky Tonk Man into two parts. Rude definitely ranks ahead of the latter-era Honky Tonk Man icy title reign. But then I realized that maybe the problem with Rude was that it was just inevitable that he was going to lose it back to the Warrior at SummerSlam. But yet, I don't think that it was a bad title reign by any means. So why am I actually comparing it to, so I guess maybe I'm, I'm teaching myself an important lesson here using Rick Rude's Intercontinental title reign. Don't compare yourself to others in whatever your line of work is because everybody has a different situation and you just got to live in the moment. taking a peek at Rude's opponents on house shows. He did have Duggan on Saturday night's main event and Duggan on a handful of house shows, but it's not until the very end of the run that you start seeing him defend against a kind of odd variety of opponents. Beefcake gets a couple title shots. Hercules is thrown in there. I mean, that's one where you could have given Rude victories. Because you're not doing anything with Hercules at that point. I mean, and Hercules still has it out for the Heenan family, so it would have made sense. Jim Neidhart on some house show in Ohio in August. But yeah, maybe it would have strengthened Rude's reign. Because most of the time, he's just facing the Warrior and they're doing sort of non-finishes so as for this bout it starts with a test of strength because Durante kind of did like a little bit of a pose at the beginning of it like trying to go body for body with Rick Roode and Heenan once again just like the earlier bout with the Brain Busters once again, gets the inset promo because of all his stuff that's going on.
0: Don't worry, please don't worry. You thought you'd never see me again on television, but I've got good news for you. I'm gonna have my own television show, and Bobby the Brain Heenan is gonna be the hottest and biggest star in the history of television. <laughs> have you seen a show, the Bobby the Brain Heenan show? No, I haven't had a chance to. McMahon, have well, you haven't missed anything? then it's probably pretty good. If you don't like it, that means I probably would enjoy it very much. It's different.
1: The thing that I've always wondered about the Heenan show, and maybe I should save this for when I'm inevitably going to do a podcast on one or all four of those episodes, is how much input Heenan had into what was on that show versus the Vince McMahon wanting to just throw as much weird stuff in there as possible. The way I've always thought of it is Vince is the driving force and just wanted Bobby to react to everything that was going on around him I mean I, I could be wrong with that but I don't think if Bobby Heenan was designing a show like a variety show with his name on it that he would have had Jameson there although then again he did do a hell of a job sort of playing off him as Durante rolls through rolls through on the test of strength and ends up stomping Rude's hand but Rude gets really pissed off quickly and qu- quickly finishes Duranty with the rude awakening so it's time for the post-match. And Andre the Giant, is he's just sort of hanging out on the outside because Heenan's going to come in, you know, announce that the Rude Awakening said they're going to bring a young lady into the crowd. And, like, and Andre's just staring towards the back to make sure that Warrior doesn't run in. And Heenan, like, directs him more towards the aisle, probably because he knows that Andre doesn't have the best lateral speed at this point. And the Warrior, he, does, he literally runs in for everything. So... It's not like Andre would be able to cut him off from where he's standing. So he positions him over. Kind of like the coach from the dugout, the first base coach who's in charge of the outfielder positioning. Like, come on, move a little bit over towards left center, Andre. (laughs) Something to that effect. So Andre, they're setting up the rude awakening kiss for rude, and it goes off swimmingly. But Andre just standing there, standing guard, it's basically, we we earlier we had earlier we had Rooster with a uh, Cockadoodle Doo, now we have cockadoodle Doodle Doo, but Andre, he's like the world's biggest sock on the world's biggest doorknob.
0: Every World Wrestling Federation star, but i would Andre, think the warrior would be the Andre. exception. I don't see him Pick around. Up. The warrior don't come up on no one unless you can sucker punch him or get him from behind. Oh come on, give me a break. That's ridiculous. Oh yeah, I mean, what did we see last week? Aren't you bubbling over with enthusiasm? And aren't you just full of joy and frustration that you're gonna let out right now with ravishing Rick Ruth? Yeah. <laughs> Help yourself, Tuts. Good. Oh, oh we have another winner! Hayden thinks he's doing his own show again. We have another winner
1: look at it another way it is kind of sad Andre the Giant one of the greatest attractions in the history of professional wrestling is now reduced to being the lookout guy for Rick Rude to make out with some random woman from the crowd oh well it it is a little bit awkward and speaking of awkward we got Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake up next and they're gonna give a ultra long they, they, they too get to go long form for their SummerSlam promo and a lot of times the Hogan beefcake stuff would get a little weird, might perhaps a little homoeronic, but it, it's kind of like, since they're given three minutes, I want to see how long they go before there's something just blatantly homoeronic and what it's going to be and what weird thing is going to come out of their mouths.
0: You know, Maniacs, the number one thing that's been haunting me and Brutus this last week is the same old question you keep asking us. Did we walk into the Macho Man's Trap? Oh yeah, he baited it. He had the door wide open. It was set to catch us. And oh yeah, me and Brutus, we walked right in. Because we have half an idea of what we're in for. And if we can take care of business, it may be the last time. The Macho Man, as devious as you are, we know where you're coming from, man. You'd sell out your loved ones just to get ahead, we already know that. Zeus, the human wrecking machine with the madness in his eye. I had it with him through the movie, during, before, and after. He's completely out of his mind, and now he wants to take our livelihood away from us. The whole WWF is shaking like a leaf just because Zeus is hanging out. But the thing is... They both don't care about winning or losing. All they want to do is put me and Brutus out for good. But the thing, Brutus, that really has me worried a little bit, the thing that really puts me over the edge, brother, is if Scary Sherry is the puppeteer, man. If she's the one pulling the strings as she mixes up her mumbo-jumbo pot with the stolen ruby-red slippers and the worn-out garter belts as she makes the macho man and Zeus sniff the vapors as they drink the nectar from the ground below that makes scary sherry tick. How far will these guys go over the edge, brother, once they're totally possessed? I know that we're going to have to be prepared to go just as far. We've got to go just as far down as they will go. We've got to get the potion. We've got to get the common bond. We've got to get that thing that will tie us together. That will be stronger than Scary series. Noxious fumes because the madness is spreading, Hawkster. It's spreading everywhere. It's in his eye, man. It's in his eye. I saw it. And the macho man has got it in his eye, too, brother. He wants to destroy you, and he wants to destroy me, too. So I think that we're going to do just what they're going to do. We're going to think about survival here and nothing else. Survival Well, you know, we've already been forgiven, Big Brother, from all of our little holsters, man. We told him about maybe we'd have to play by the same rules, not caring about winning or losing, but the thing that we got going that you can't forget. Is all those hundreds of little Hulksters that have followed us from New York to Los Angeles and all points in between, catching our sweat in Dixie Cups. When we drink our own sweat, brother, when we replenish ourselves with our own bodily fluids daily, that's what's going to put us over the edge. We're just as crazy as they are. We're just as far gone as they are, brother. And when you drink the Hulkamaniacs' sweat to survive, Hulkamania and Brutus will always remain alive.
1: This is going to sound weird, but that's fairly normal by their standards. It took a full 90 seconds before it got a little bit strange with the tie-us-together stuff. Naturally, it was when Beefcake started talking. I always enjoy how when they're referring to Zeus, they always say the madness in his eye, which is a nice way of explaining the sort of wonky eye thing that he had going on. And oh, by the way, that turned out to be a good thing for Zeus because... As he's in Hollywood and it's starting to appear in more movies beyond No Holds Barred, movies that normal people actually watch, <laughs> and he's hanging out with like Tupac and all that, it, bec- it became a blessing, he said, because I started doing these movies and God said you thought it was a curse. It was a blessing. My eye became my trademark in Hollywood. And yet he was born blind with a detached and deformed retina. So that's kind of why that's the way it is. But to say he's got the madness in his eye and tie it back to Macho Madness, I'm not saying that Hulk Hogan is a poet or anything, but it's pretty good stuff working into a normal, all right, normal for them, wrestling promo. (laughs)
0: 32 instead of a minute 31 it was as you started to point out again Larry a left
1: hook that Mike Tyson knockout of Carl the Truth Williams in the first round was the night before the superstars would have aired so July 21st 1989 it, it's nice to get a sense of I mean, just how big of a phenomenon Mike Tyson was in the 80s leading up to that Buster Douglas fiasco when he was just knocking everybody out and knocking everybody out quickly. It's just listening to that crowd and the reaction to him knocking another dude out in under 100 seconds. I mean, he was just demolishing guys left and right. And a nice little segue. I used to be able to do stuff like this a lot more organically, but yeah, it was a demolition of Carl The Truth Williams, and demolition is up next. Still the tag team champions, although not for long, as I've alluded to earlier. They're taking on the humorous team of Sandy Beach and Iron Mike Sharp. Humorous for different reasons, because Iron Mike Sharp just make a lot of noise. This match being no exception to it. And Sandy Beach, who... uh, By the way, there's a Sandy Beach in Massachusetts. I know that there's probably one in a lot of different states, but ours in this state is in Cohasset, one of my favorite place names to say. And not a place you'd go to, because it is a little bit out of the way south of Boston. Sandy Beach, the wrestler who I know for being particularly horrible because the Place to Be podcast names their worst worker of the night after him. But in 2019, the man, Sandy Beach, had a, he had a heart attack, and he drove himself to the hospital. And it's a good thing that he did, say the medical professionals, because he would have died because he ended up having a quadruple bypass, as it turned out. But he got discovered on the No Holds Barred set. As he played one of the people in the uh, battle of the tough guys bar it said he was the short headbanger but that doesn't make sense to me because i don't i don't think he's as little as the guy that was in the cage so there might be a little bit of miscommunication on that because we got smash and iron mike sharp in there slugging it out real quick yeah it's like it's like 83 mid south in there actually sharp was there in 82 it really doesn't matter Again, a lot of noise from Iron Mike. You're definitely going to get that. He's certainly a guy who would fit in well in the COVID-19 era, given his proclivity to you know, constantly wash himself. I think that would go over pretty well. As they talk about Vince and Jesse dude, the six-man coming up at SummerSlam, Demolition and Duggan against the Twin Towers and Andre. A match that I'll remember forever for Smash, just out of nowhere, slamming the boss man, then slamming Akeem. And then Andre comes in like, no, he's he's not going to slam Andre. Although it would have been pretty funny if Smash, of all people, had done it to Andre the Giant. Axe tags in. And Axe and Iron Mike Sharp. You think, okay, well, here's a contrast. No, no, they have something in common. They are both 1983 Bob Backlund challengers for the world title, which, you know... You could say Iron Mike Sharp. Well, yeah, it was. He got one or two shots. And Axe, as the Mass Superstar, got quite a few more of them, and was probably the last serious contender for the title before the Iron Sheik came along. Mass Superstar, just Bill Eadie in general. Somebody brought this up on Twitter the other day that I noticed. Is Bill Eadie the most underrated wrestler of all time? And he's certainly in the conversation. And part of that goes to when you think of him in his career most people's minds will go to acts from demolition but he was only doing this for about three plus years maybe four years if you want to include that unfortunate global stint where he's access the demolisher and i know that the whole trademark thing and he's still calling himself that but he for the prime of his career when he's the mass superstar he's a great in-ring guy who was over everywhere he went and working near the top of the card in all those places so I don't, I don't know if I'm going to anoint him the most underrated of all time, but I think he's certainly in the conversation, mainly because you think of him as this axe character, this you know, S&M dude, when really he was a serious professional wrestler. Sandy Beach gets in, and I have a feeling that that's going to be the only tag on that side. And he does not look good as he he's just getting the crap beat out of him but thankfully this thing's over quick this isn't like on the place to be podcast where sandy beach is going 7 minutes with you know some you know scott casey or whatever in madison square garden as the demolition decapitation thankfully finishes and this is the end for demolition this is their last time they would emerge victorious as tag team champions on television A record that would stand for about 30 years until they had the new day break it because you know reasons can't have can't have demolition holding that record even though they interrupted the tag team lineage in 2010 if you look it up the original wwf tag team lineage ends in 2010 because of some weird decision wwe made but what a great run for demolition first they win the titles from strike force and then in the aftermath they put martel out in storyline in I think it was June in Oakland I, I don't think they aired it till the beginning of July so they basically took them out they fend off the Hart Foundation the Rockers the British Bulldogs among others in the summertime the Hearts at SummerSlam then the Powers of Pain as you get into the fall and the face turn the double turn at Survivor Series 88 because all professional wrestling comes back to that one show leading up Wrestlemania 5 they get their revenge on Fuji in the 3 on 2 match afterwards they're facing the twin towers as number 1 contenders fend those guys off a little bit and then it's on to arn and tully i'm going to say every single arn and tully match in the wwf was like a dream match except i remember that they also faced like the young stallions and the bushwhackers and that's something less than a dream match so demolition at the end of their first tag team title run this is the final bout Well, where they would leave as champions, anyway. In other action,
0: the Superfly, Jimmy Snuka, meets the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Right now, let's get
1: respective comments from both sides. When you think back to SummerSlam 89, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, against Superfly, Jimmy Snuka, look, why is this match being put together? And finally, 31 years later, we now have a reason for that match to actually exist. It it was the much-needed matchup of Snuka, the dark side of the ring, facing the Million Dollar Man, who as we've now found out, was part of the dark side of the embezzlement ring.
0: <laughs>
1: it's that time again,
0: Virgil. SummerSlam 1989, the biggest spectacular of the summer. And you, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, you have the audacity to think that you're going to march back into the World Wrestling Federation and step in the ring with the Million Dollar Man, the Million Dollar Champion, the greatest athlete that the World Wrestling Federation has ever known, and continue your career make a name for yourself again in the world wrestling federation at my expense (laughs) oh you're a great athlete snooker i'll give you that but you're not very smart. You see you come from that little insignificant island out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I think you've been waterlogged a little bit too much. Too many coconuts, too many bananas. I'm too much for
1: you. Some reason in my head when he said too many coconuts, I thought he was going to say too much cocaine. I was kind of holding my breath there for a second. And this, in all seriousness, it's just something for DiBiase to do because Jake is out with legal problems or injury or, quite frankly, both.
0: Summer Slam, a big event all over this country and all over the world, and especially in my country. Ted DiBiase, let me tell you something, brother. I have been noticing that belt that you have got. I want to know where you have got it from. Who did you beat for that belt? Well, let me tell you something, brother. You might have a lot of money, and I figured it out myself that I think you went out there and you bought that belt Ted DiBiase all the people around the world brother is definitely gonna watch what's going to happen they don't know brother but let me tell you something the superfly does know SummerSlam the superfly brother is gonna superfly
1: you what i was saying earlier like dusty roads doesn't really make much sense but it makes you feel good at the end of it snooker just leaves me thinking what the hell is he talking about he, he just kind of keeps cycling back to the same thing the superfly is gonna superfly you okay i guess your finishing move is the superfly off the top rope But like i think you bought that belt like oh Congratulations, Jimmy. Yeah, I guess you were watching the weekly TV back in February where he's openly buying the belt from a jeweler in Greenwich, Connecticut. Good good job, Jimmy. I I I certainly find you competent to stand trial. I don't know who it was that signed off on Snooker talking for 45 consecutive seconds, but I'll guarantee you that that person wasn't there in Allentown in 83 to keep him from talking to anybody. Anyway, that's kind of dragging me down. I going to go back to DiBiase and his involvement in this embezzlement ring that's going on in Mississippi or Alabama or one of those states that's run by, you know, just absolute crooks. <laughs> the fact that he's involved in that and it stole a ton of money. I mean it's ripe for jokes like, "Oh, well clearly that's how he became the billion dollar man." But yet another example of a guy who covers himself. It, it, I mean, if this proves to be true, which well, there's a lot of smoke there, It covers himself in sort of religious dogma and all that stuff like oh i am a man of the cloth like come on ted for god's sakes once again another guy like that has completely undone any good that religion has done for us as a society so okay deep breaths this is 89 wwf i don't have to go to the dark side of the ring or the dark side of the embezzlement ring or anything like that after all, this is 1989 WWF. Jesse has successfully lifted my spirits and gotten me to at least be able to watch this going forward. And the, the, Jesse and Vince, they wrap it up, tell us what's coming next week. But then the video for WWF Superstars, July 22nd, 1989, doesn't actually wrap up there. It goes into a Superstars that appears to be just after WrestleMania 9. It plays for about 60 seconds. It's the April 11th, 93 Superstars, and uh, apparently Hacksaw Jim Duggan let off on that one. Might have been April 10th, I don't know, but kind of funny. Shows almost four years apart. Same guy in the opening match. Other podcasts: Steve Bennett of the Sportscasters. Welcome in baseball author extraordinaire Jane Levy. She's written books on Sandy Koufax, Going Back a ways. Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle. Uh, I don't know if I'm forgetting any others, but those three are very, very highly acclaimed and a very good guest she is on any program. And on the Our Vantage Point podcast, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn, They're looking at Herb Abrams' UWF. (laughs) So I I didn't watch that Dark Side of the Ring. The only one that I'll watch is the Dr. D one because the rest of them will probably be too depressing. But there's probably a lot of comedy in that UWF one. And I've seen a thing recently because on, on their Patreon, they're reviewing May of 1983, WWF, including the episode where Bob Backlund did the Harvard step test for the entire episode. So I guess now... Michael Quinn is going to be doing the Harvard Step Test as they record one of those May of 83 episodes, which it's kind of funny. It's a lot healthier, I think, than reviewing the UWF and just doing an eight ball of cocaine as you're watching Herb Abrams' product the entire time. So do check that out. Now, before I get to what's going to be next week's show, and yes, I actually have a plan for that, I did want to sneak in an edition of YouTube Comment Theater. And as always, these are actual YouTube comments left by what I can only assume is the best and brightest in our society. And we're going to start out with B. Duddy 55555 I didn't know that there were 55,554 ahead of him. Duggan is using what would later be Jerry Lawler's theme. Oh, for God's sakes, it's the King theme, it's the Gates of Kiev. I know, I know would, Lawler would ha- make it his own for a couple of decades, so I guess it's associated with that. Kevin Edwards, all capital letters, says, The best thing about wrestling back then, every wrestler had their own character. Oh, you mean it's not like today where every guy has long black hair and a black beard? Like, look at WWE's rosters. They have about 17 guys who all just kind of look the same. Which is why, like, Drew McIntyre... What the hell is different from him from anybody else? Other than the fact that he's a little bit taller and has a Scottish accent. I don't know. Sam Adela Idela says... Wrestling was such a big part of my childhood. I never enjoyed other sports, but Saturday mornings and later primetime shows were a bomb. Watching as a kid, I never realized how much... Most of these guys endangered their lives, not just physically in the ring, but with steroid and narcotic use that they needed to be the biggest, the best, and mask the pain. So many of my childhood heroes never even made it to 50. So sad, and to a degree, I almost feel guilty watching these retro episodes knowing what I know as an adult. I hope things have improved for current wrestlers, but somehow, I doubt it. Boy, that was really depressing to read through, so I'm just going to move along. Lord Belial says, I can't believe it. Duggan is using a wrestling hold. Jesse during the King Duggan match. And kind of goes on through the Jesse stuff towards Vince that he had <laughs> said during the episode david sanchez says i love this time i was a kid and watched every saturday but i never liked hacksaw jim dugan one g there so i am pronouncing it correctly i don't understand how he got so over i changed the channel when he wrestled it's because it's an easy catchphrase yelling ho to the crowd and it's something that they can repeat back johnny beatdown says so hogan and beefcake are going to beat zeus and savage by drinking their own sweat Okay, yeah, that that was very weird, but they got to come up with something or else it's not a real Hogan and Beefcake promo Pricey's MMA says, please upload more superstars and challenge from late 80s and early 90s, can't find a watch anymore, waiting for more, cheers Yes, there there is still some out there, and there is one account that used to be on YouTube that I have the sense has come back under a different name I'm not going to say who it is but um, j- just look around for 1991 episodes of superstars and, and you'll you'll definitely come across it uh raho whereho says FFS, for blank's sake. Iron Mike Sharpen is nonstop moaning and grunting. No wonder he remained a jobber. Well, better a jobber than a porn star, I
0: guess.
1: (laughs) Rahowero again says, I heard the warrior received good money for the unnatural acts performed upon him. Well, that's just a rumor. I'm not going to traffic in all of that. DDT99 says, Sherry was too hot for words, and she looked amazing in that shade of purple. Yeah, Sherry, 1989 was uh, she. She definitely had it going on. And I ate my dog says Henning Martell, Taylor DiBiase, so much in-ring talent, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's 1989 WWF. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. That'll do it for YouTube comment theater. Well, next week, because I had such a good time rolling around in the playpen that is 1989 WWF, I'm going to go to another of my favorite years, which is 1997. And finally, I'm going to kind of sort of do that Friday night's main event that I've always wanted to do. But instead, I'm going to do what would either be categorized as WWF New York or WWF Shotgun Saturday Night. I think they're basically the same thing, except it was branded WWF New York to get around syndication rules. Kind of like the WCW Pro on WGN deal that was out years ago that I've done shows on that from 1991 nevertheless this would be from september 5th 1997 and some very interesting stuff also relating to the friday night's main event that i just mentioned but D'Lo brown against savio vega i mean gang wars the stone cold steve austin interview at his house that is like literally my most favorite thing ever and it's edited for content on there and it's edited down for time Oh no, I am doing I'm doing the full version. I I don't care if it was actually on another show. I'm I'm covering that entire thing cuz it's the most hilarious thing he ever did. We got Owen Hart against the Patriot leading into the Ground Zero in Your House Pay-Per-View where the Patriot is challenging for the WWF title held by Bret Hart in what was not the main event maybe a little too much Del Wilkes on this show after doing uh, sort of a cursory run through of it but uh, I'll be sure to have an opinion on that guy because there, there is a, they do the profile on him where you know they say who he is and the main event is the Undertaker versus Triple H which hopefully won't turn into the same wank fest that, that a lot of their later matches ended up being so looking forward to all of that but until then do, do, do me a favor and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever fine reviews are accepted because it provides what is known as social proof that you listen and enjoy this particular brand of podcasting where I occasionally talk about wrestling, but also do podcasts on Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was so much fun. I'll have to do another one of those GFA lives on a movie again. Is From week to week, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I don't think we could do a TV show necessarily, because that would be that would be too hard. But movies, absolutely for sure. I think I feel comfortable now wrapping a bow on episode 169. And do tune in next week for another exciting episode of Games from down.
0: at FBI headquarters and I saw a guy that looked a lot like you on the 10 most wanted list down there. No, I don't believe so.